At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, March 13th, 2023. It's been 3,302 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 383 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Russia no longer has the resources to cause catastrophic economic, social, or military disruptions by targeting Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Second, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Third, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Fifth, we maintain that, short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, those are seaburn weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of cost. Sixth, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine, and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Seventh, we maintain that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian MOD has reached a dangerous level that threatens to derail the only successful Russian offensive operation since June 2022 in Bakhmut. Eighth, We maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Ninth, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, 
We maintain the Kremlin is actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 12, 2022, there was very little fighting around Kyiv as the Russian offensive started to fall apart. Russian troops advancing from Sumy attacked Brovary. In Mariupol, Russian tanks entered the city's eastern part and started shelling buildings indiscriminately, and Russian snipers shot at Associated Press reporters. The Russian cruiser Moskva departed Sevastopol with three landing ships, believed to contain an amphibious assault group meant to attack Odessa. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's Monday, check in with both belligerent objectives, starting with Kharkiv. The Russian objective is to push Ukrainian forces west of the Oskil River and set conditions for a future, larger attack. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the northeastern corner of the oblast, hold defensive lines in the Kupiansk operational area, and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. Russian forces attacked Dvorichna and Kyivka. Russian DRG units have crossed the Oskil River in the past, in our assessment, the attack on Dvorichna was a reconnaissance or sabotage unit. The Russian MOD reported their forces shelled Hryanikivka and launched airstrikes on Ukrainian positions. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, recapture lost territory, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. There weren't any significant reports of fighting on the Luhansk axis. In the Kremina operational area, the Russian MOD reported continued fighting near Nevsky, while positional fighting continued from Ploshanka to Dibrova and in the Serebriansky woods. We did make a small adjustment to the war map east of Yampolivka, based on a geolocated video that showed Russian forces were 300 to 500 meters further north than we previously assessed. Based on terrain analysis, we extended the area under Russian control. Russian mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo reported that Russian forces were advancing in the Siversky Donets River floodplain west of Shiplivka in the direction of Kremina. After 308 days of fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, both combatants took the day off. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, claimed that a rocket fired by HIMARS struck the bus station area near Perevalsk. We'll talk more about this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region and integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Siversk and Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. In the Siversk operational area, Russian forces continued their attacks on Spirne without success. PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Vesele from Yakovlivka and attacked Ferorivka on the T-513 highway without success. In the Soldadar operational area, heavy fighting continued on the outskirts of Zaleznyanske. Russian forces, according to the Russian MOD, 
are approximately three kilometers west on the M3 or E40 highway in the direction of Slovyansk, severing the only road into Zaleznyansk, which is now flanked on two sides. Ukrainian forces were able to hold defensive positions east of Minkivka. In the Bakhmut operational area, Russian forces took the high ground north of Orikhovo-Vasilivka while making a small advance west of Dubovo-Vasilivka. Russian social media users amplified a false claim that Orikhovo-Vasilivka was captured, and Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar claimed that Ukrainian forces only remained in the western cemetery. Russian mill blogger Boris Rozhin denied the village was captured, and PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin admonished people making false claims of successful attacks, claiming it damaged operational security. You can probably hear me rolling my eyes right now. Russian forces attempted to advance on Bohdanivka, suffered heavy losses, and returned to their defensive positions. A geolocated video confirmed that our mapping of the line of conflict was pinpoint accurate. Good job, map team. The video showed advanced groups of Russian or PMC Wagner forces being shelled on their defensive line. As with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Several PMC Wagner Telegram channels claimed that mercenaries had infiltrated the tunnel and bunker networks under the industrial area, with fighting ongoing 320 meters underground. We have no way to verify these claims. It was confirmed that PMC Wagner forces were pushed out of the industrial district, and our current mapping north of the Azom Metal Products Factory may overstate Russian territorial control. According to reports from reliable and semi-reliable sources, the heaviest fighting is in the southeastern part of Bakhmut, south of Mariupolska Street and north of Ivanhrad. PMC Wagner continues to grind out territorial gains in house-to-house fighting, where Ukrainian forces are supported by infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, including the BTR-4. In the center of Bakhmut, Russian forces destroyed the Geology Museum, 600 meters west of the Bakhmutovka River. Some assessment here. The southeastern part of Bakhmut is becoming problematic, and if Ukrainian forces can't stabilize this area, it could force a withdrawal from the city. PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin expressed frustration on the inability to capture Bakhmut, saying, quote, The situation in Artemovsk, he means Bakhmut, is very difficult. The armed forces of Ukraine throw up endless reserves. End quote. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik, Igor Strelkov Girkin, provided a gloomier assessment. Quote, As part of the generally successful, they means for Ukraine, completion of the battle of attrition and gain time deliberately carried out during the winter campaign by the command of the armed forces of Ukraine, no counteroffensives are needed. They already firmly hold half of Bakhmut but even surrendering the remaining territory to the exhausted orchestra, he means PMC Wagner Group, will not change the final situation. During the winter campaign, the Russian Federation armed forces failed to achieve any success that went beyond purely tactical ones. End quote. There have been no changes near Khromova, and no Russian claims that the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, has been severed. 
Fighting continued south of Ivanivska, with the Russian MOD claiming Russian forces were leading the attacks. There were Russian claims that the T-504 highway had been reached and cut off, but a video from March 11th or 12th showed the highway was still open and no signs of recent fighting. Our assessment here is unchanged. Russia is committed to capturing Bakhmut at all costs, short of Seaburn, and Ukraine will withdraw when its military leadership has determined its defense no longer serves a strategic purpose. The situation in northwestern and southeastern Bakhmut is deteriorating, and we are mostly concerned about the continued advance of PMC Wagner units from Ivanhrad deeper into the city's center. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region, integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. Fighting continued in the usual places, with the usual results. In the Avdiivka operational area, the Second Army Corps, formerly of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, continued their attacks on the Krasnohorivka Plateau and Kamyanka. Deep State remained insistent that Krasnohorivka is captured and Kamyanka is in an untenable state, while Rybar reported continued fighting. Reports of the capture of Krasnohorivka and Kamyanka were coming from local Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, commanders, and even our favorite FSB Colonel Girkin was unconvinced, stating, quote, To the north of Avdiivka, the remnants of the Donetsk infantry, replenished with volunteers and Russian mobilized, are trying to bypass Avdiivka from the north and reach its ground line of communication. The local command reported the capture of the settlements of Kamyanka and Krasnohorivka. However, in fact, the success of last summer was again repeated. The enemy, he means Ukraine, was also driven out of the indicated settlements and retreated to Avdiivka, which was heavily fortified along the perimeter, but later quickly restored the situation with counterattacks. In any case, while the threat of encirclement of the armed forces of Ukraine in Avdiivka is not even close, the city is very strongly fortified. End quote. We went ahead and updated the map using terrain analysis and split the difference between the various reports. Russian troops continued to attack Avdiivka head-on, with Wargonzo reporting an attack coming from, quote, the south, but not specifying geography. It was unsuccessful, because they refused to learn. The Russian VKS continued to attack Avdiivka with various bombs, including what appeared to be a Fab 1500, or one of the newly developed JDAM bombs. The First Army Corps, formerly of the DNR, continued attacks west of Vodiana along the northern edge of Pervomaiske and north towards Sieverne. Russian forces continued sustained attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske and remained unsuccessful. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. 
but like, don't change anything. Do it exactly the same. Make no changes. In the Marinka operational area, fighting moved to the eastern edge of Krasnohorivka in the ruins of Marinka and near the Pobita pig farm with no change in the situation. In the Buchledar operational area, fighting restarted in the Mikilsk dachas, also with no change in the situation. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that truckloads of half-height concrete dragon's teeth were moving through the city in the direction of Bryansk. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent a Ukrainian offensive into Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and capture the remainder of the oblast. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. There were no updates on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. That's all I got. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported four Black Sea fleet vessels on patrol with no missile carriers. Lines three kilometers long formed to cross the Crimean Bridge because border security claimed the X-ray machines were broken, so they were forced to do manual searches. Wait times were four hours. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. In Kherson, insurgents with the Atesh underground blew up a section of the railroad tracks between Abrikosivka and Radensk. Speaking of blowing up, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. Family members are increasingly complaining that PMC Wagner is not notifying them when a loved one dies in Ukraine and has done stealth burials. Because they are not notified, families can't attend funerals or receive survivor benefits of 5 million rubles. Investigators in Russia believe the situation is not as sinister as it sounds. It may come down to logistics, where it's easier to ship bodies to Wagner cemeteries versus national and international transit. The United Kingdom Ministry of Defense reported Russia continues to suffer extremely heavy casualties, with the impact hitting poor regions harder. In proportion to their population size, the richest cities of Moscow and St. Petersburg have been left relatively unscathed. In many of the eastern regions, deaths are likely running, as a percentage of the population, at a rate 30 times higher than in Moscow. In many places, ethnic minorities have taken the biggest hit. In Astrakhan, 75% of casualties came from the Kazakh and Tartar populations. Additionally, Wagner Group's owner Prigozhin has pivoted recruitment efforts back toward regular Russian citizens, having been cut off from penal colonies. Over the last week, masked Wagner recruiters gave career talks in Moscow high schools and sought to collect contact information. About half of the prisoners Wagner has already deployed in Ukraine have likely become casualties, and the new initiatives are unlikely to make up for the loss of the convict recruit pipeline. All is going to plan. (laughs) 
In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. The LNR JCCC claimed that Ukrainian forces attacked the bus station in Perevolsk with a single M30 or M31 rocket fired by HIMARS. In our assessment, this was a false flag attack involving a single munition fired from a system with insufficient range to come from Ukrainian forces. The photo of the impact site of the rocket, which, again, we do link to in our full situation report on Patreon, is not at all consistent with a HIMARS strike. In fact, it more closely resembles one of the multitude of potholes that signals the start of spring here in the Midwest. The rocket impacted at 48 degrees 26 minutes and 42.4 seconds north and 38 degrees 48 minutes and 25.1 seconds east and was launched northwest of the bus terminal from the direction of Popozna. Let's break it down. Ground rockets have a maximum range of 40 kilometers and smirch rockets have a maximum range of 35 kilometers. However, the minimum distance for Ukraine to realistically launch a single grad or smirch rocket is 64 kilometers. The damage in the roadway and the area is inconsistent with an M30 or M31 rocket that HIMARS uses. If a grad or smirch rocket was used, it wasn't a cluster munition as the cassette was not embedded in the pavement. So in our assessment, this was a false flag attack launched by Russian or LNR forces on their own civilian population. Additionally, in a video, they showed pieces of shrapnel from the device, which are also inconsistent with M30 and M31 rockets. Quick sidebar, the term false flag was first recorded in the mid-16th century and was defined by the Oxford English Dictionary as, quote, a deliberate misrepresentation of someone's affiliation or motives, end quote. In practice, were a ship to encounter the ship of a rival nation, for example, they might fly the flag of that nation's ally in order to avoid getting attacked, or to draw the ship close enough to strike them unawares. 450-odd years later, false flag is used to describe an attack or action by a belligerent made to look as though it were committed by the opposing forces in order to justify a response. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, updated the identity of the Ukrainian POW who was executed by Russian forces after saying Slava Ukraini, or Glory to Ukraine. Oleksandr Motsievsky, a sniper of the 163rd Battalion of the 119th Territorial Defense Brigade of Cherniv Oblast, was the man in the video. Vasil Malyuk, chief of the SBU, said, quote, it is a true hero who demonstrated to the entire world what Ukrainian spirit and invincibility is, even looking death in the eyes. Such defenders are defending our land today, which means that the enemy will surely be crushed because Ukraine's great victory consists of the heroic deeds of people like Oleksandr Matsievsky. End quote. Matsievsky was called up for service in March 2022 and was listed as missing in action in December of the same year after disappearing near Krasnohora. He was executed on December 30, 2022, and his body was returned in February, aiding in determining his cause of death and a forensic investigation that confirmed his identity. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky 
awarded the title of Hero of Ukraine to Matsievsky, saying, quote, Today I conferred the title of Hero of Ukraine upon Oleksandr Matsievsky, a soldier, a man whom all Ukrainians will know, a man who will be remembered forever, for his bravery, for his confidence in Ukraine, and for his Slava Ukraini. End quote. A quick note. The Hero of Ukraine is equivalent to the Congressional Medal of Honor or the Victoria Cross. Ukraine has started broadcasting FM radio signals into Mariupol, where outside information is strictly controlled. The frequency is being rotated to make jamming more difficult. In geopolitical news, Moldovan officials said they foiled a plot by groups of Russian-backed actors who were attempting to cause mass civil unrest during Sunday protests against the nation's pro-Western government, which is led by President Maya Sandu. Viorel Chernautianu, head of the Moldovan police, said an undercover officer had infiltrated a group of agitators, which included Russian nationals. Some were promised payments of up to $10,000 to create civil unrest in Kisinau. Seven people were arrested, and during Sunday's protests, 54 were detained, including 21 minors. Local officials reported that four bomb threats, including at the international airport, were phoned in. Moldovan officials have processed hundreds of fake bomb threats since May 2022, meant to erode trust in the government. Former Georgian President Mikhail Saakashvili claims he's on the brink of death, saying in a recorded video, quote, At first, I weighed 120 kilograms. Now it's 64. If I become less than 60, doctors predict multiple organ failure. I'm in bed all the time, my bones are disintegrating, and this causes excruciating pain. End quote. The ex-president's lawyer confirmed the words of his defendant, and said that Saakashvili, quote, looks like a concentration camp prisoner, end quote. Swiss Army officials created outrage and frustration when they announced they would dispose of 60 rapier anti-aircraft systems and destroy 2,000 missiles due to the nation's historic so-called neutrality. Kai Gunnar Sievert, a spokesman for Armasuisse, the Federal Defense Procurement Office, said, quote, it is planned that all systems will be dismantled and disposed of as part of these other tranches, end quote. The rapiers were purchased in the 1980s and modernized in 2007. While outdated, the system is not considered obsolete. François Pointe, a member of the National Council from the Green Liberals, responded, quote, It is absurd that we are disposing of defensive weapons in Switzerland, end quote. The systems are British, not Swiss, and theoretically could be transferred to Ukraine with the United Kingdom's permission. However, the UK would have to buy them back from Switzerland, and London has shown no interest in recovering the rapier air defense systems. In economic news, the ruble started the week with an exchange rate of 76 for one US dollar, trading in a narrow band. West Texas Intermediate crude fell to $75 a barrel, and Brent dropped to $81. Russian Ural's crude fell to an official price of $59 a barrel after India announced it would not violate sanctions when purchasing Russian petroleum products. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline will start the week flat, 
with the price on the spot market at $2.61 a gallon or $0.69 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures were starting the week down slightly, with April and May contracts at €50 Euros per megawatt hour. Chicago SRW wheat futures were up, trading at $6.74 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.